Hello, everyone, and welcome to Behind the Scene at NTSB. Thank you very much for joining us. My name is Eric Strickland, and we're happy to have you. Uh, if you found us on iTunes or Google Play, thank you very much. Make sure to rate us, give us a positive rating, and share us with your friends. Also, make sure to follow NTSB. We are at, I can never remember which one's .gov or not. So we're on Twitter at NTSB, at LinkedIn at NTSB, on Instagram at NTSBGov, on Facebook at NTSBGov, and then if you want to go old school and just visit a website, it's NTSB.gov. So I think I've covered our social media there, and that's where you can find us all. Um, this week, I'm excited to have Clint Johnson with us. He is the uh, chief of the Alaska Regional Office. That's is that correct. correct. Okay, that's correct. He's also an accident investigator, but you know, you start with the chief part because that sounds really cool. <laughs> um, and so he is in town, and we were just really glad that you're able to take a take some time and chat with us. So oh, thank you very much. Here. Thank you very much for the invite. I appreciate. Yeah. It. So I have to ask: Are you originally from Alaska, or did you know you find the job and then the job took you to Alaska? No, I'm originally from Alaska. I wasn't born there. I was actually six years old when we moved to Alaska from the Bay Area. Uh, my parents bought a helicopter company up there in the, oh, in the mid sixties and have been there ever since. So mm -hmm. I tell everybody I'm from Alaska, but I have to qualify it and say I wasn't born there. So. <laughs> Cause there's those that say, no, you're not, you weren't on soil for your first That's steps. That's correct. And, right. Yeah. Gotta be accurate. So. Alaska is one of those places I'm originally from Montana. So there are a few places that actually rival the, you know, unnatural beauties of nature and Alaska is one of those. So I'm a little jealous about that. So I just have to put that out there, but sure. But so you went up there and, uh, so your family owned a helicopter, a company and that's what brought you there or were yeah, they into there was... aviation and then kind of looked around for something? Well, I mean, it's, it's kind of a long story, but yeah, my parents ended up buying this, uh, this business in 1966. In 1967, we ended up moving to Alaska, lock, stock and barrel, like, like I say, from the, from the Bay area and have been there ever since. Uh, we operated that up, op that operation uh, basically from 1967 all the way up till 1995. Wow. Obviously I didn't start working in it when I was six <laughs> years old, but grew up in an aviation business and, uh, eventually flew for my parents for, for quite some time. Oh, very cool. Uh, uh what age, I mean, I know helicopters are, are not helicopters. I know in airplanes, it's like 14 or something with lessons and stuff. Like is helicopters the same way? I always think of, of rotary as being a little more technical. I don't know why. I just always think that helicopters require a lot more expertise. That's just my totally un, uneducated opinion. Yeah. You know, it's, it's basically the same thing as far as the, the minimum age for uh, uh, either a fixed wing or a helicopter, which I believe is 16. And I, I don't oh, okay. know that right off the top of my head. Again, Montana, you can drive it. You could drive at 13 there. So I'm a little skewed on what, what minimum should be. I didn't start uh, necessarily right at 16. Um, a lot of my friends, you know, that we grew up with, Alaska is pretty dependent on aviation. So mm -hmm. a lot of those folks had their their uh, private fixed wing license before they had their driver's license. I wasn't one of those. I was a little bit of a late bloomer, so yeah. early, 19 years old. So, so do you think you would have been in the helicopters if your family hadn't owned the business, or? No, you know that's a that, that's interesting question. You know, it's those it's like life. You know, you have one little deviation and it changes your whole life. Uh, I don't know. I, I I would assume probably not. Yeah, uh, probably still be in the you know California area and uh, you know taking a completely different turn. So you yeah. never know. But uh, so what kind of helicopter? Like, uh, what did the family business do? Did you do some oil stuff or logging or a bit of everything? Anyone that needed a helicopter? Yeah, pretty much anything for a buck for the most yeah. part. Um, very uh, heavily in energy, either uh, direct support, you know, offshore uh, exploration, mm -hmm. you know, hauling geologists around. I mean, everything that centers around uh, energy. 
also logging and a little bit of tourist, but uh, at that time, that wasn't really a real hot commodity in Alaska yeah. at that time. We're talking when I was flying for them, uh, mid-80s to late-80s, so all the way up to 1995. Yeah. Um, are there certain parts of Alaska that helicopter can't, isn't good for? Because, I mean, because it's a, too cold and you can't resupply, or they're just, I mean, I just think of, like, the distance that they that they can travel versus a fixed wing is is quite different so you you're not traveling as far or am i wrong on that too? no you know technology has really come a long ways i mean nowadays the the machines are you know just as fast as a fixed wing back in the old days when you were talking about piston powered machines as opposed to turbine powered mm-hmm. machines had a lot of limitations as far as range and and temperature wise but with turbine machines nowadays uh it's it's not really a problem there is a, a maximum uh temperature that you can operate as far as a uh, you know, lower limit mm-hmm. But realistically, it's about the same as as, as airplanes, yeah. fixed wings now. So, so with all that said, and and everyone getting their fixed wing pilot's license, you know, as essentially as the lower forty eight gets a driver's license, was was a plane kind of like the SUV and the helicopter, the sports car of the households? Like, did everyone kind of get both? No, I mean, helicopter operations are are very unique, very specific. Um, the cost, obviously, associated with a helicopter as opposed to a fixed wing considerably more. So basically the long story short is if you can do it with a fixed wing, do it with a fixed wing. If it takes a helicopter, it's, it's, you know, landing on mountaintops and what have you, very specific things, uh, specific missions for helicopters is when, when they come into play. Yeah. So was it fun flying with your family? Like who was the pilot, your mom or dad or both? Well, actually, uh, truth be known, I was the only pilot. Um, Oh really? I mean, this was at the, at the end when we sold our business in 1995, 1996, um, you know, we had 30 machines. So I mean, it was pretty good size. Yeah. My, my father, my stepfather was actually a businessman. He, he was a private pilot, but he always said that he could hire much more qualified, uh, uh, pilots than doing it himself. Yeah. He was a businessman. Mom was the the office manager. So, oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. I was, it was, it was fun times. I wouldn't trade, you know, some of the experiences and things that I did over the years. Uh, yeah. you look back and you know, it was a pretty good time. Did you have like a favorite route that you used to like to fly? So if you were able to come back anyway, you would always go that way. Cause it, you know, it was, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, you know, Alaska is so, so ex- expansive. I mean, there's lots and lots of, uh, of area that we covered, obviously, yeah. up nor- anywhere from the North Slope to Southeast Alaska or out on the, on the Aleutian chain. So every place is different. Um, if I was to pick one particular spot, uh, Denali Park, McKinley Park, yeah. I know it is McKinley now, it's Denali, it's changed, <laughs> but, uh, that air, the area is really, really, uh, spectacular. Yeah. Pictures don't do it justice. Uh, and having access to helicopter, you could probably get to spots that no one else could. Like, did you always have your spot where like, I know that no one else really is ever going to go here. This is going to be where I, I have a couple hours, I'll land here, just hang out for a bit. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, uh, you know, then I look back, you know, there was certain favorite spots, I guess you would go to, but, uh, you know, usually we were out there doing a job and it couldn't really, you know, you couldn't really lollygag too much. You're doing a job for a customer and, and trying to get it done as uh, expeditiously, expeditiously and as yeah. safely as possible. So, yeah, I guess if it is pretty expensive to operate. You're, it is you're probably not giving the it keys is. and say, hey, yeah, just fly <laughs> around for a while. You're good yeah. to go. You bet. Yeah. So until uh, around '95, and you flew with your for your family. Did you keep flying after that? Or? You know, not really. Um, every once in a while, and still to this day, I fly every once in a while. But it's not ob- obviously not professionally. It's yeah. uh, you know. <laughs> it, this job obviously keeps me fairly busy, uh, especially oh, yeah. in the summertime for us. But, uh, 
yeah, after 95, 96, I, I kind of put that in the rearview mirror and uh, went on to other things. So uh, so where did you go? Because I'm curious how you got from that then to the NTSB. Um, you know, aviation to the NTSB seems like kind of a direct route, but, you know, you never know. Sure. Um, so kind of the Cliff Notes version here, we sold our business in 95, 96, uh, January of 96. Part of that sale was I had to sign a three-year non-compete, which means I couldn't oh. go out and start my own operation. Mm-hmm. Not a bad thing. I mean, I had been in the aviation business all my, you know, short adult life and, and child life too. So I was actually looking for something a little bit different. Um, You're not looking to get in an office where you like, you know, no. <laughs> I want to see what a cubicle's like. Yeah, everyone else has got to experience <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, I wasn't really into the cubicle <laughs> thing. So looked at a, a number of businesses to do the purchase and did a couple of things and tried to figure out what I want to do when I grew up. Uh, just by chance before, you know, in the, in the, the early 90s, late 80s, uh, had a chance to work with the investigators at that time in the Anchorage office of the NTSB and mm-hmm. got to know them, actually hauled them to a couple of accident oh. sites. And I always kind of, kind of thought, yeah, this would be a pretty cool job. And the way, way it worked out is uh, one day I got a call from one of the investigators there in the Anchorage office and says, hey, we have an opening. Why don't you, you know, why don't you put an application in? And I had to kind of think about it. I was a, you know, a kind of a private sector guy and yeah. kind of the entrepreneur type. And I didn't know if the government life would necessarily resonate with me, but I thought, well, what the heck, I'll give it a shot. Had no idea that, you know, the, the odds of getting that job were, were, uh, stacked against me, but I guess, uh, ignorance is bliss. And, uh, (laughs) I ended up being picked for the job and been there ever since. So been there just, uh, just shy of 20 years now. So. Wow. That's amazing. Uh, And Alaska is a, a very busy regional office. It's very busy in general with, with general aviation, but for the regional office, it's, you guys are, you're always busy. So you started out as just a general investigator, aviation investigator, you know, did you have to follow someone around for a while or get somebody under your belt and then they let you go on your own or because you had a a solid history in aviation and understanding, did they kind of just say, all right, you're on the staff now. Enjoy. Oh no, no, there's, there's (laughs) a pretty, pretty steep learning curve. You know, Uh, I mean, obviously what I was doing before and and the jobs that I had had before didn't didn't really apply to this. Obviously, the aviation background comes into play, but that's more background, just as the name implies. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, as you know, we have our our academy. That's kind of the start, but that doesn't teach you to be a, a journeyman investigator. So basically, on the job training with you know either journeyman or senior yeah. ASIs uh, in the field, that's where you 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 hone that craft, and uh, that's exactly what what I did. Two yeah. investigators in the Anchorage office when I came on. And oh, that's uh, it at that time. Wow. Yeah. I have four investigators in our office now. We're fully staffed, blessed with that. But, yeah. uh, at that time there were only two investigators. Wow. Actually launching, launching on accidents. Cause I'm going to guess there were probably a few more accidents back then than there are now, or has it just been kind of steady over 20 years? No, actually the accidents have decreased. Uh, you know, back when I came on every single weekend, it seems like we were going out on, yeah. on fatal accidents. And those are obviously the accidents that we launch on. Mm-hmm. Uh, the limiteds are the ones that we can do over the phone. We used to do those as desk uh, investigations as much as possible. But back then, in uh, you know 1998, we were we were very busy compared to now. So wow, and I'm as, I'm assuming you also have to be kind of good at search and rescue. So understanding your ropes, how to get in and out of areas, because uh, it's not like they they're crashing on you know uh, roadways or crashing near the airport or no. anything like that. It's it's 
mountain ranges that haven't been named or valleys <laughs> that you have to turn left at this, you know, someone's hut and then make your way up this way to a, a tr <laughs> the only tree on the side. So we, we are a little unique to the rest of the board. Uh, our, our counterparts in the lower 48, they deal with remote locations, probably a little bit less. Uh, we, we deal with it almost every single time. Yeah. Um, the uniqueness for us is we, we work very closely with the Alaska State Troopers that have a, a number of airplanes, not only helicopters, but uh, uh, fixed wing as well. Yeah. The uh, Coast Guard in, in down in the area of uh, southeast Alaska, down to Sitka, Juneau, in that mm -hmm. area. And then the Air National Guard, which is the rescue folks, which are in our area as well. So yeah. pretty unique, but uh, they help us do our job safely. So Yeah. Yeah, I know that the um, there's a large volunteer search and rescue and, and crew out there that do a lot of different things, too. Absolutely. So, uh, do you kind of do you do some of their trainings? Because, again, Alaska is unique with this, where there are a lot of search and rescue organizations in the lower 48, but I know that they train more often with a lot of uh, – more variety of audiences up in Alaska, especially with like the Air Force and, and the Coast Guard. Do you guys get involved with that so that you're able to kind of integrate yourself when you need to, to, to help with uh, recovery and investigations? We do. Uh, if, it's a, if it's a real remote area, uh, there are a number, like you say, a number of uh, volunteer rescue organizations in the Anchorage area. It's the Alaska Mountain Rescue Group. Mm -hmm. Very talented uh, 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 group of folks that have all the climbing gear and all the all the gear that we need to be able to get in. Yeah. So basically, what we do is we ask them to accompany us. Obviously, my job now is to keep our our folks as safe as possible. Um, you know, obviously from an administrative standpoint, I'm yeah. responsible for doing that, and that's how we mitigate that risk. Yeah. No. Uh, I, I know probably a little bit more about that than I should because uh, I had to do some research on Alaska search and rescue guys for my master's program. Oh. So it's like, never did it come up that the NTSB did investigations. Cause that would have been cool if that came part of it, <laughs> but it, it talked about all the different things that they did and, and how they then go out and train guys in the lower 48, just cause that's it. Yeah. It's, you know, they're, they're busier than most other places. And uh, again, you know, uh, people forget a lot of the countries covered by like volunteer firefighters or something like 76%. And Absolutely. so up there, a lot of the search and rescue, you rely on your neighbors, you know, you may go hiking, you tell someone you don't come back. They're also probably the guys that are going to come find you later. And those guys are busy in the summertime, you know, yeah. uh, especially down in Southeast Juno mountain rescue, Sitka mountain rescue, a lot of the Ketchikan mountain rescue, a lot of these communities in, in Southeast Alaska have these, uh, rescue organizations that, yeah. I, I mean, we'll work with them one or two times a year, uh, but they're out always picking up tourists off of glaciers or hikers or climbing folks that have gotten themselves in trouble. So yeah. there's, there's truly a special place in heaven for those <laughs> folks. They do it on a volunteer basis and you can't, can't knock that. Anytime you get to use some cool gear, you know, yep. unfortunately someone's in that situation, but hey, <laughs> I think James and I were talking about this. It's I get to play with cool stuff. And so if someone's in a bad position, but you get to then go help them out and use all that training experience. So it's you know, sure yeah. with all your friends. And it works out for us because obviously we're not going to get anybody hurt going into a, to an accident yeah. site. So again, what it does is allow to, allows us to be able to mitigate that risk and take our investigators in and out uh, on a safe basis. Yeah. I think one of the accident when I start, cause I've only been here about seven months one of the accident investigations I was reading through to get, there was pictures and one of the Alaska investigators was like, uh, was harnessed up, tied to a tree, leaned down the side, you know, trying to get his measurements for whatever he was doing. It, it looked like a very uncomfortable position to probably have been in for a few hours as he's gathering all the data that he needs to do before either 
a the plane slips down the rest of the mountain or until yeah. they can get it recovered. And I know which picture you're talking about. That's <laughs> Bryce Banning. That's a senior in our office and also Clint Crookshanks. Okay. Uh, that was uh, an accident, unfortunately, a nine fatal uh, turbine oh. otter accident in, uh, in Ketchikan. That was two years ago. So okay. yeah, it's a, it's a definitely a telling picture, no doubt. Yeah. It just shows the, the unforgiving uh, realities of terrain. And if you're not paying attention and sure. just what can happen. Sure. And so, uh, Every, you know, do you go talk to people as they're like getting their licenses to kind of educate them about some of the lessons that you've learned? Uh, does the NTSB kind of get involved in, I don't want to call it driver's ed, like the, mm -hmm. the flight school. I know it's called flight school. Thank you. Yes. Everyone is looking at me right now. Like, you know what this is uh, with when they're getting their pilot's license. Do you kind of go in and just share some of the lessons you've learned, especially based on Alaska investigations that you've done and things so that they can try to, I mean, hopefully they read the reports and they pay attention to the FAA safety alerts and our recommendations, but having the expertise in state, I think that would be pretty useful. Yeah, we do. We do. Um, I mean, obviously our main job is to investigate accidents, determine probable cause, yeah. make recommendations to keep them from happening again. Everybody knows that, but they're kind of behind the scenes. There is uh, some outreach that we do. Um, you know, the flight schools is one little part of it. You know, the flying organizations, we have the Alaska Airmen's, which is kind of the, uh, the, the private pilot or the, the non-commercial folks okay. in Alaska, it's an organization up there. We'll reach out to them, speak at a lot of their, their organizations. The Alaska Air Carriers, which is more of the, the charter side of it, same thing there. Um, so we do a fair amount of e outreach. Summertime is a little tough for us. We're very yeah. seasonal. That's, that's our busy time. Um, so we try and not to do a lot of that during the summertime. But the wintertime, the off times, uh, when we're a little slower, yeah, we do a fair amount of yeah, outreach as much as we can. Have, so you've been there for 20 years in the regional office. Have you seen a change in the patterns, like the, the types of pilots that you're seeing? Or I mean, I'm just trying to think with the decreasing number of fatalities, can you attribute it to something, just better education or better flying or better planes, or just it's just kind of what's happening? Well, that's the that's the sixty four dollar question. I mean, everybody you know everybody wants to jump on the on the bandwagon and and give their two cents why they think the accident rate is down, and it's 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 down uh, somewhat. It's not down remarkably. Obviously, what we'd like to do is get to zero. I don't yeah. know if that's possible or not, but um, there's a number of things that have come online in the last twenty years. Um, ADSB, which is uh, we know it as capstone, which is like a radar type. Mm -hmm. situational awareness type of equipment in the airplanes um, that has become that just came online in the last probably 15 years okay uh, infrastructure um, as far as weather reporting in the area has gotten a lot better there's a number of things and and plus probably the biggest one is is just a, a drop in the total number of hours being flown oh okay yeah so not you know general aviation for us is directly dependent upon the economy at the time. Mm -hmm. And obviously it's economy has slowed down a little bit up there in the last couple of years. So you don't see as much part 91 or, or general aviation activity. So that's, that, there's a lot of factors, I guess, is my point. There's not yeah, one, one specific thing. Yeah. I was mainly trying to suss out a little bit more about the technology pieces. Cause I know that that's come along and I didn't know if that was part of it. Also, I'm glad you said it, the weather reporting. That's something mm -hmm. that we recently have talked about with the um, uh, PIREPs for, you know, pilot-to-pilot -pilot weather stuff. But I think there's probably a lot of micro environments in Alaska. So, you know, if you get more, I mean, I know a guy that has his own little weather tower at his house. So he knows what's going on in his, mm -hmm. you know, 
two block area of his house. I'm assuming there's probably getting more of that in Alaska for better understanding of what's going on in certain areas. Absolutely. I mean, again, that's just part of the part of the puzzle there or part of the the equation as far as, again, that, that, you know, a number of things. One thing that also is, you know, fairly indicative to Alaska is weather cameras. And what I mean by that is remote located cameras where you can actually go on a, a website, oh. look and see if a, you know, a certain mountain pass is open before you go out there and take the you know, the proverbial look sure. and have to turn all the way around. So, I mean, that has, again, that's a number of, of factors, but uh, ADSB weather cameras, uh, uh, improved weather reporting, and uh, just a number of things. There's a lot of that. Yeah. Uh, and I was handed a note here to have you, if you can, talk a little bit about, I guess we did an event last year, uh, NTSB did a general aviation um, event that kind of just talked about this. Did you have uh, good participation from the local community? Can you talk a little bit more about the type of event that it was? Sure, absolutely. Uh, last last fall, um, again, we're very seasonal, so we kind of have to pick <laughs> the time when we when we do these things. So we did it as late as we possibly could in the year when everybody's uh, you know kind of winding down as mm-hmm. far as uh, flying wise. We had a loss of control event, um, which is basically lessons learned. Brought in Alaska investigators, specifically Alaska investigators, presented. Uh, case studies mm-hmm. uh, as far as the the accidents that they have investigated involving loss of control. Member Wayner was there, mm-hmm. and uh, we had probably uh, well over 150. Uh, oh wow, that's standing great. room only in the in the auditorium. So it was a it was a huge success. Uh, did most of them fly in, or do you think most of them were local? <laughs> no, most of these. I mean, this was done in the Anchorage area, so yeah. I think yeah, most of them were were in the uh, from the Anchorage area. That's really cool. And that way they get to know who you are and can reach out and ask questions or, you know. Absolutely. Like you said, a lot of our stuff comes in after something has has gone wrong and there's been normally an accident with a fatality. But I think, you know, uh, from from a prevention standpoint, we have some of the best resources and knowledge base. So I think we can just letting people know. And if they say, oh, the NTSB talked about it, that might get them to think a couple steps forward or making sure. sure they do their checks or whatever it may be that they need to do. Yeah. Again, lessons learned. And that's why we're there. We're trying to pass that knowledge on, be the conduit to hopefully keep it from happening again. Ultimately, that's yeah. what we're after. So. Uh, so to take a step back a little bit. So you started as an investigator uh, and started going in, and you've been in the same office and worked your way up through, you know, showing up and, and doing this uh, kind of what I mean, we talked a little bit about how you got to the NTSB. Someone gave you a call. That's, you know, kind of nice, it's kind of nice that someone did that, that yeah. you know. But what inspires you to keep going back every day? Is there something that just kind of drives you to, to you know, reach out to the community? Or what, what may hmm. be that drive? Well, let me, let me start off by saying our, our office is, a, again, a little unique. Everybody gives me a hard time saying Alaska is different, <laughs> but it is. Yeah. So, um, but I, it is, I, I will agree with you on that <laughs> on many levels. So, uh, long story short, we're probably a little bit more visible up there from a, from a community standpoint. Alaska is very, very dependent upon aviation. Uh, it's a way of life up there as opposed to a, you know, a, a novelty or something to do. It's, it's, we use it like a pickup truck for the most part. Mm-hmm. Uh, very few roads in Alaska, so obviously aviation is is uh, an integral part into getting around, especially in western Alaska where there are no roads. Sure. You can't drive to Kotzebue or Nome, so uh, the only way to get there is to fly. So with that said, we are a little bit more uh, visible, and, you know, I like that aspect of it, um, you know, being able to 
to uh, to do the outreach and uh, and to make a difference. Try and make a difference. I know that sounds a little no. corny, but you know you you do try and make a difference and try and you know hammer that accent rate down as much as possible. So yeah, I mean over twenty years, you've I mean you've probably impacted thousands of people talking to them and and making that difference. So it's not corny. You know, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a true thing. So you do that. Are there, you know, with general aviation, Alaska, you know, big thing, do some of those translate down to the lower 48 you think, or again, I know we keep saying it, Alaska's unique. Is it more for Alaska is a lot of just kind of the terrain and the tourism. Cause there's a lot more tourist flights, uh, especially with the cruise ships and, and those kind of things. Yeah. I mean, the circumstances that lead up to an, uh, an accident in Alaska, a lot of times are very same, uh, the exact same circumstances, the factors and the causes are exactly the same. It's just yeah. the, the location's a little different. So to answer your question, yeah, a lot of the recommendations or the, the lessons learned that we have up in Alaska do translate to, to accidents in the lower 48. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, do you have any interest in like, if when you're done, like to be kind of a consultant or help out with things like stay in the, oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't mean, know. Well, I, I mean, at this point right now, I, I, I enjoy my job. Yeah. Um, I, I don't have any, you know, desire to do anything else at this point. I'm very, very blessed with I hear the, that the a job. lot. So that's, I mean, was, you're not the only one. Everyone <laughs> likes, you know, likes to be able to do that. Yeah. So I, you know, I, 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 you know, we'll see what happens, but at this point right now, I, I really enjoy my job. Yeah. Uh, are there any um, other pilots in the family now? You know, staying up there and no, I was I was you know out of out of four kids, I was the only one that kind of followed you know in the in the in the family yeah. business there for that that amount of time. But uh, everybody else went out and did their own thing, but I was the only one. So yeah, I'm I'm it. So do they like that you're at the NTSB? Do you know? Yeah, you I know. Talk <laughs> about it, you know. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's an interesting job. It's different. Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt if you tell somebody what you do, you know, usually I, I always tell the story when you're on an airplane and you get the guy next to you asking you, what do you do? And you say, well, I'm with the NTSB, everybody around you shuts up. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's a, it's an interesting job. No doubt. Yeah. You say, no, no, I, I, you know, I just do the small planes, the big ones, uh, you know, I haven't seen one of those in a long time. You're fine. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Is there, you know, so. In your time there, is there one investigation that really sticks out that either it was, you know, the challenges of figuring out what had happened there and or um, when you did figure it out, the recommendations, you know, were very impactful? Is there something mm -hmm. like that that stands out to you over? Yeah, um, you know, the, I mean, I'm asked that a lot, you know, yeah. and first first and foremost, every accident is different. And there's no two accidents are, that are that are the same. I mean, they're similar as far as the outcome. I guess, you know, from my standpoint, probably the, the Senator Stevens accident that took place back in 2010. Okay. Um, that was kind of a turning point in my career and, and you know, the whole office's uh, complexion as well. Yeah. Senator Stevens was, was in power when I first, uh, or in office, I should say, when I first joined the board. He was, his office was literally right next door to ours. So oh. we knew him personally. He would yeah. always, he was an aviation buff. He would always come next door and you know, any of the accidents that we had going on, you know, very informally be able to come over and talk. And, and so, you know, fast forwarding eight, nine years, had no idea that I'd be doing his accident as yeah. a major, a field major in Alaska. So, you know, that one, you know, it's definitely, uh, it le leaves a mark. There's no doubt. I mean, it was a tragic accident all the way around and, uh, it changed the complexion of, of the state of Alaska too. Yeah. 
can you uh, and i i i remember the crash but i don't remember any of the details like what uh what was the probable cause do you remember well, uh, that was uh, that was a very challenging oh, one. Okay. I mean, the the long and the short. <laughs> this of it is the is... one question I wasn't supposed to ask. Sorry, I didn't <laughs> no, see no, that no, on no. my. Uh... <laughs> I mean, it's 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 in the in the history books now. But uh, give you the Cliff Notes version. It was a, a turbine otter, a float equipped turbine otter, otter coming from a, a lodge out in a very uh, uh, pristine fishing area. Uh, the airplane was was ultimately found on the side of a mountain. Long story short, there there were a total of. Uh, I think nine on board, nine or wow. 10 on board. I can't remember exactly what it was, but uh, five of those were fatal. And unfortunately, Senator Stevens was one of those. So you can imagine the the in, the media frenzy uh, when an accident like that take, takes place. So yeah. um, long story short, um, there were some medical issues that involved uh, the pilot. Uh, had a stroke, previous stroke before that. Um, but there, were some, there was some fairly uh, inclement weather in the area at the time. So... The long and the short of it is, you know, we we danced around, or we we knew that there was some type of a medical incapacitation, yeah. but specifically what it was, it was a little tough to to nail down. So yeah, it's also one of those things: the weather, the they all kind of added upon each other. And absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So it's yeah, it's never one thing; it's a chain of events that lead up to that. And unfortunately, this one led up to a tragic accident that again changed history in in Alaska. Yeah, that's. Unfortunately, I, he was around when I was doing stuff, and I'll always either remember the accident, but also that he came up with the internet's a set of tubes. That one mm. sticks, you know, <laughs> that sticks in my mind a lot too. So, if if anyone doesn't remember that, Google it. That was a really fun. If there's yeah, a fun hearing in Congress to watch, that one was a fun one to watch. So, I'll have know. to I'll have to do that. <laughs> it was good there. Um, and so I, I just. I do really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us because, again, Alaska is, you know, very unique. I know that there have been, you know, we're going to be holding up probably about the time this podcast comes out. We'll have just held uh, a regional meeting up there to discuss issues um, mm-hmm. just because, I mean, you know, we we try to take lessons learned from everything. But sometimes, it, you know, you need to bring everything. And so everything to the people, I guess, kind of like the right. the um, hearing or not the hearing, the event we had last fall. And so I'm hoping, again, I'm going to be, you know, Marty McFly here and say I'm going to go to the future. And everything went well. And it was a, you know, well-attended hearing. And we got a lot of answers, you know, from the investigative hearing. But sure. it doesn't happen often that the board goes out into the field to do these investigative hearings anymore. Um, you know, it was, was that, I'm fairly certain you were right in the middle of those decisions to try to do that. Is that something that you thought would be really good for the community to bring the board in and and kind of show the importance of, of safety to, to the community? Well, keep in mind that I do, I do work to the pleasure of, of the board. So <laughs> it was their decision to do oh, this. Yeah. I support it. But, uh, um, again, the reason for the, the hearing in Alaska is it gives the, the Alaskan public, uh, the Alaskan aviation public, a glimpse into our, into our investigative process. Um, yeah. the accident that it is going to be uh, centering in on is a, a scheduled commuter flight 3153. Uh, out in uh, between two Alaskan villages. Unfortunately, it killed three people. Mm-hmm. Um, but there have been a, a number of what we refer to as CFIT accidents, control flight into terrain in okay. Alaska in the last two years, a number of them. Uh, we haven't determined probable cause on this accident, but all the indications are that you know there are some similarities there yeah. with uh, a CFIT accident. So we think it's, we thought it was important to uh, to highlight those uh, those. Uh, 
circumstances that led yeah. up to this accident and conduct this uh, investigative hearing in Anchorage in a public audience. And obviously, it's going to be webcast as well. But we're expecting between 100 and 150 people there at the Captain Cook Hotel on August 17th. Great. Well, I, you know, again, I think it's important that people uh, get interested in it. Like you said, if you're starting to see a trend, that's kind of what we're here for at the board is to take some of these accidents and if there's a trend, try to dot, identify it so that it doesn't happen again. Absolutely. A, a, you know, a, a bad design in a, in a new plane or a gear that's not working right on a train, whatever it may be, hopefully we'll see those patterns before they become sure. a big issue. So I know, um, as we talked about just a minute ago, the technology has been advancing and, and I know that um, I've read some reports where the technology was turned off, so the terrain avoidance was beeping. Correct. So it's kind of the same in uh, you know, passenger vehicles now. And we always make the, the link between auto, uh, automation in airplanes and aviation and with the increasing automation in uh, vehicles. And if people get annoyed by either the haptic feedback or the beeps or whatever and they turn it off, what's the point of the technology? And so, uh, you know, we may not have the full answer, but we mean we may find out that they turned it off because they don't like the beeping. And sure. so that, you know, that beeping could have saved someone's life. And that's, uh, that's one of the issues that's going to be discussed and, and, uh, that we're going to be looking at is the TAW system, the train avoidance system, yeah. how it's being used, how it's, how it's not being used. Uh, so that is going to be an integral part of the, of the public hearing. Is there one type of plane that's like very popular in Alaska? So you see it more and you really get to be familiar with it, or is it really just a, a flyer's choice and you have a mishmash of planes that, because it's more of a family plane that's been around for a really long time and may not be as well maintained or do they do? Yeah. I mean, I try to think again, lower 48, I'm expecting to have like, you know, my grandfather's 63 Chevy that I had to try to, you know, fix or whatever and gets handed down generations and someone sure. forgot to change the oil for 12 years or something like that. And then they just give it to somebody. Yeah. So if you look at the general aviation side of, if you're looking at various airframes in, in Alaska, the mainstay, if you're looking at general aviation, part 91, the weekend warrior out mm-hmm. there, super cubs, PA 18, you know, Piper yeah. super cubs. The ones so, with the really big tires that can land just about anywhere. That and also on floats. We have a lot of float-equipped aircraft up there. We see, you know, float-equipped aircraft every single day in our office, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, if you get into the, you know, the scheduled 135 or the 135 uh, operators, they get in more like the Cessna 185s. Okay. The, you know, the commuters now out between, you know, in the Bethel-Kuskokwim area and the, the scheduled carriers out there. They're more moving to like turbine, you know, single turbine okay. uh, powered equipment like Cessna 208s or, uh, um, you know, something in that, in that line, 10 passenger airplanes, yeah. much more reliable, um, newer equipment, but, uh, some of the older equipment is kind of being phased out now. So. Okay, cool. Well, it's, it's important if you're listening to this and you fly a plane anywhere, not just Alaska, make sure your technology is up to date, <laughs> you know, it's being developed for good reasons. And so I sure. highly recommend that. It's like updating your phone. Most there people you. do that. Update your update the tech if you can in your plane. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I should probably do it with my car too, but that's, you know. Sure. Do it in whatever you can. Sure. Right. Well, very cool. Well, again, I really appreciate you taking the time to kind of share Absolutely. some Alaska story, stories and talk about that. Um, you know, I think a lot of people are interested in, uh, at least internally, what goes on in the regional offices. I, I enjoy the podcast because I get to talk to different people and find out what they do. So I'm hoping other people do as well. Uh, and so thank you very much. Thank you very much for 20 years of, of service to the board. Oh, you bet. Thank you very much. Doing those investigations. That's, you know, 
I feel like a baby. I'm not even at a year yet. And you know, it's gone by quick. But in this room, there's over over 40 years of service, uh, you know, and 20 of those are yours and 20 of those are Stephanie. So, you know, it, it, and I'm going to be here for a long time, I think. I get that prediction. That's at least my hope. Yeah, it's hard to get away. Huh? Yeah. But um, with that, thank you very much. Uh, thank you, all of our listeners. Again, rate us on um, wherever you got us, iTunes, Google Play. Uh, thank you for our technical producer, James Anderson, making sure we sound good. Um, and with that, thanks for coming behind the scene and until next time. Bye.